Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and all my venture crypto capitalist friends out there. Welcome to ICO 101, a crypto 101 podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Paul. At ICO 101, we look at upcoming coin and token offerings from the average person's perspective. That is, you and me. We preview pre and post sale offerings while engaging with the leaders of these companies in order to help you make an informed decision on how you want to participate in those offerings. ICO 101 podcast is on the Crypto 101 podcast feed, so please find Crypto 101 podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox. Leave a positive rating and subscribe to it. It helps us stay at the top charts. Visit our website at ICO101podcast.com. I'm very active on Twitter, so please follow me there at Sup Aaron Paul. And while you're at it, follow the show at ICO101podcast. Send me all the private messages you want. I love getting them and try to respond as fast as I can. And finally, this interview is sponsored, so I feel obligated to give you my personal integrity disclaimer. I do not interview any different whether an episode is sponsored or unsponsored. We are always looking out for you, the average consumer, and my interviews will always reflect that. Please don't forget that I am not a professional investment institution, bank, lawyer, or accountant. I'm not offering any legal, accounting, or financial advice, so please make sure you listen, take notes, research, and make your own informed decisions when deciding to invest. Today's guest is JP Theriot of Universal Protocol. The Universal Protocol platform is a transformational development for the blockchain industry, making all cryptocurrencies accessible and convertible on a single network and in a form significantly more convenient and secure than currently available. The Universal Protocol has some heavy hitters sitting on the UP Alliance, which is the vehicle that has been created to execute the Universal Protocol vision. The UP Alliance is made up of Blockchain Berkeley, Cred, Brave, FBG Capital, and Uphold, where JP is the CEO. These are all great, successful companies in their own right, and together should give you confidence that they will easily accomplish what they say they will in this episode. Again, thank you very much for listening, and I hope you enjoy my time with JP Theriot of the Universal Protocol Platform. JP, welcome to ICO 101. Thank you for having me. You are the CEO of Uphold and in charge of strategy with Universal Protocol. I know we're really only talking about Universal today, but I want to compliment you on the Uphold app. I think it's really easy to use, easy to set up. It was simple to link to my bank account, so kudos to you. Thank you very much. We've put some work into it over the, the last four years, and I, I think actually we're just now. Are you, have you been using the new mobile app? I have not. Uh, well, that's the one to get you excited. It's a whole leap forward from where we were. So when I knew we were doing you guys as an interview, I saw Uphold, so I just clicked on it and I was like, oh man, it, it works and oh, this is awesome. And I spent probably a little bit more time than I should getting distracted on your guys' stuff. So in all fairness, we'll talk about Universal today, but hopefully we can get you back on the show and talk about the app. I think that would be fantastic. Wonderful. Any, anytime you like. So before we talk about the Universal Protocol, let's talk about you. Who are you? What's your background? And what led you to Universal? Sure. So let's see. I, uh, I'm Argentine by birth, grew up in the United States. And then I guess the thing most related to where we are today is was lucky enough right after leaving college to wind up at a small West Coast investment bank that is, had sort of set up shop as the first investment bank to service this new type of company that was popping up around Stanford. So before I got there, the company is called Hambrecht and Quist. It had done the IPO for Apple, for Genentech, for Adobe. 
And uh, and right before I got there was the first time anybody had heard the term World Wide Web. And so maybe six months in, we did the first internet uh, IPO, which was Netscape. And then I guess, as they say, the rest is history. But that's where I met a lot of the people that today I work with, both on the technology side and on the financing side. There's some overlap. Obviously, (laughs) there's many decades in between. so, So there's a lot of new blood and different thinking this time around, but tons of similarities between the advent of Bitcoin and crypto and and basically digital money and uh, the unfolding of the internet in the early 90s. Lots and lots of parallels. I guess that's the most direct influence on why I'm here. Two questions that came to mind when you say that is first, and you mentioned just briefly, the parallels between the internet and blockchain. You hear that all the time. As a matter of fact, Matthew of Crypto 101 hates hearing that, but it seems so true. It sounds so true. Would you liken it strongly yeah. to the internet? Yeah, absolutely. And I'd be curious to see what why he hates it. Let's see, the analogy that we come up with that we use in the context of the universal protocol is that basically blockchain 2018 is a whole lot like internet, call it 1989, which is to say you have a a general public that recognizes that this thing has the potential to be significant, revolutionary, disruptive, what have you, but there's still a huge entry point conundrum for potential participants because there's a sort of primordial soup of overlapping protocols. So Mm -hmm. in early internet, it was Prodigy and CompuServe and AOL and none of these things spoke to each other. And it wasn't until TCP IP and then DNS that you had the sufficient beginnings of a common language that would allow for mass consumer uptake and really an explosion in innovation. When people stop competing as to whose language to speak and all innovate in the same narrower parameters, that's where you get a tremendous uptake in innovation. And that's what happened in the internet. The more direct parallel, of course, is that all this is about is forming an internet of money, which is to say that the internet has dealt with every type of information but money. And money, at the end of the day, is just another form of information. And the things that had sort of inured finance from the same type of total reinvention that's happened in every industry but finance, well, Bitcoin washed those things away. So it's taken, what, 10 years since the invention of Bitcoin, and it'll probably take another 10 or 20, but the metamorphosis will eventually be complete. Those ones and zeros that today are monopolized by banks and stuck in these, you know, sort of fractional, highly leveraged silos of of undisclosed risk that, you know, tend to collapse every 10 years or so, Mm -hmm. those will all migrate to a global transport layer that will behave like an internet of money. So I can't imagine why somebody wouldn't see the parallels or that kind of line between the two phenomena. Well, maybe look at today's environment. Well, in today's environment right now, look at the crypto market. It's tanked, right, from its all-time highs. It's sure. still higher than it was, I think, a year ago, right? But when we talk to the average consumer all the time and they say, well, if it acts like the stock market, if it acts like banking, how is it not? How is it any different? I mean, what would you say the person who parallels Bitcoin with traditional banking just in a different form? Yeah, so I think, I mean, uh, <laughs> The early part of, of this ecosystem was so exciting from a trading point of view. And, and by the way, it could easily get exciting again. But For that sure. seemed to be the aspect, the component that captured everybody's imagination. And so when people get wound up in that or their mood is profoundly affected by you know the rhythms of a trading marketplace, I think it has the effect of distracting from really the sort of more steady advance of what's happening underneath 
I mean, in some measure responds to what's going on in the market, but is a different arc, right? It's just yeah. code being written, things being done, technologies being adopted, behavior changing slightly. And I think there we're at the cusp of some amazing products being released that you know, are more aimed at the mass market and, and less at resuscitating a, a sort of you know, animal spirits, speculative hype cycle that we're also dependent on. And by the way, I wake up and I'm kind of as affected by seeing, oh, my God, here we are, 169 billion down from almost a trillion at its peak. It has an effect on everybody, but that's not going to be the driver here over the course of you know years. Yeah. Um, For me, I get some perspective because I talk to you guys all the time. I talk to founders and I talk to, I mean, look, you guys are way more brilliant than me for real. I just like to get the information from people such as yourself and I'm excited about it. And when I look in and I see the tick down, I just feel, actually, I feel proud that I'm still in the game, you know, because I saw it coming up. I saw the cap, the top, the down, the more down, the more down. And as I continue to stay in the space, it's the people who are building, are building, silently, grinding, pushing forward. And it really doesn't deter me whatsoever. And I'm, I'm happy you said that. And that's how I feel. And that's some encouragement to the listeners who are listening right now, because I think it's very relevant when they listen to, oh, another ICO or another STO. You know, this is it's important that we stay the course and we keep pushing. Sure. Well, let, let, let's remember <clears throat> where the Internet was in 2001. It was a it was a wasteland. The destruction in that abbreviated time dwarfs what we've seen here. Right. I remember Bill Hambrack, a father of, of Internet uh, finance, basically saying this is so bad. I'm worried for Adobe to give you an idea. And, <laughs> and so the companies that made it through that, the Amazons and the Googles and so forth, obviously didn't really start to become valuable until long after having passed through that type of reckoning moment where I think a lot of the weaker offerings are, are washed away, which sure. is what a free market does. But the ones that, are, that stick around, you know, I don't think they've begun really the steep part of the value creation curve. I'm excited. Let's talk about Universal's vision to create one platform for trading virtually all asset classes in tokenized inoperable form using a single blockchain. You like that segue? Well, well, <laughs> Can you describe the vision in a one-on-one manner for the listeners? Sure. And and again, it's, it's very wrapped up in, in how caught up we are, uh, all of us, with uh, with the ups and downs of the market. The, you know, Today, 24 million people in the entire world have touched crypto. And for it to succeed, it's going to have to jump the rails from this fascination with the ups and downs of a daily market and get to a point where it delivers the goods to the mass market. And the way we define the mass market is two and a half billion holders of bank accounts worldwide and a billion unserved beyond them. That's obviously many, 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 many multiples of all the world that's understood or touched crypto today. And so to get there, the Alliance would like to try to address three of the big restraints on the ecosystem as it exists today. The first one is what we touched at the top of the call, which is the problem of competing protocols and that confusing the outside world. So what we've done is we've sort of, like everybody else, recognized that within Ethereum, you have a critical mass of smart contract logic and decentralized applications and exchanges. And so there is a value to essentially wrapping non-native blockchains, other tokens, in an ERC-20 wrapper, an Ethereum wrapper. And in doing so, you allow those other blockchains to be reasoned with by that preponderance of smart contract logic and decentralized apps 
in a scalable and immediate way. So despite the promise of a lot of the early decentralized exchanges today, they essentially act as Ethereum closed loops and find it difficult to allow an exchange of value between one would think would be the most demanded trade in the space, Bitcoin, ETH. Now that's made, again, uh, possible and it's scalable in, in a manner that doesn't depend on cross-chain atomic swaps and is pretty unstable and, and, mm. and hard to scale. And where at the end of the day, there's little components of trust, uh, as it were, that can be subverted or are a flaw. So in this case, the platform can deal with making Bitcoin compatible with all that logic, with making you know Dash, XRP, dollars, euros, etc., putting it all in one place. So if you're a small business, you, you recognize that blockchain is going to be significant to your future. Maybe it eases your decision into changing your company's business logic towards an Ethereum type of a structure. You know, Maybe you're hiring Solidity developers and so on. So that's the first one. And then secondly, the, the manner in which we've built these tokens, UPP will act as a sort of a, a foundry where one or two of these things will roll off a month. We've imbued the actual architecture with features that deliver safeguards that the mass market would typically associate with more mature asset classes. So the notion for mom and pop or grandma that there's this thing called a private key and evidently if I lose it, I lose my money, that's mm -hmm. too soon for me. We resolve that by baking in recoverability, inheritability, ease of use as collateral, it's insurable, and we use it as a part of a configuration that delivers products that go beyond the sort of mathematically fascinating and esoteric, which is what our existing ecosystem loves, and more into, you know, things like cheaper credit and higher yield that everybody needs. So that's basically it. The three issues, lack of a common language, lack of conventional safeguards, and then really a lack of an emphasis on producing products that everybody wants to use. That's what the alliance is about. That's our mission. When you talk about the alliance, well... Let's talk about the Alliance. <laughs> what is the Alliance? How does it work? Who's it made up of? Why does it exist? Yeah. yeah, so the Alliance is made up of ourselves and a few companies that we've had a wonderful experience working with. And we're very like-minded in terms of collectively perceiving what the restraints are on the industry. So the partners are Brave, uh, founded by Brendan Eich, an inventor of JavaScript, uh, one of the world's preeminent technologists a specialist in areas of privacy and uh, ways of fixing the internet from its currently suboptimal state. I love Brave, by the way. <laughs> then Cred, which was founded by some PayPal veterans, uh, including Dan Schatt and Lou Hua. Dan used to be head of innovation and mobile at PayPal. They've been a delight to work with them every single day. Blockchain at Berkeley, led by Howard Wu, who's among the more brilliant technologists I've met. Huge pipeline of talent. It's the largest university blockchain group in the United States. They get 700 applicants a year, uh, all of them wildly talented, and, and whittle it back to the 50 most talented. And then FBG, which is uh, the trading firm and fund, started at this point fairly legendary trader, Vincent Zhu. So what's interesting about the alliance is each of the partners is a sort of pure play specialist in a different component of the market. We're still talking to 
a potential custody partner and, you know, a big exchange partner. And with that, I think we'll have all the requisite components to drive a very, very interesting ecosystem with best of class capabilities in each of these components that ought to be able to roll off tokens that are incredibly well built, well conceived, and that are born with liquidity and the appropriate legal structure and regulatory coverage, uh, etc. I was really impressed with the team and they've all accomplished some very big things. And that was just another, I just, I really dug into your guys's project. I promise you we could talk about this for multiple hours, but the pedigree and the vision and the scope and even the simplicity, if anybody reads the white paper, it's not complicated actually. And there's a lot of very difficult to understand projects out there when a person tries to present it to them. And if you guys add to that, that's amazing. Awesome. Uh, You guys get me fired up. Love blockchain. (laughs) Um, I want to highlight two things that you said. The first one was safety. So you guys boast recoverable assets and inheritability. And you said earlier, and I didn't even catch this before, insurability on those assets. Can you explain how that works? Sure. So all of this stuff is opt-in. So I think one of the neatest parts about the way we built the platform is you can really configure it to your worldview. So if you are a highly technologically inclined 22-year-old who's a programmer and you're comfortable with things like private keys and your own hardware wallet and so forth, then you can configure it in a manner that sets up exactly how you want it. You don't like to keep your assets with exchanges, so you can keep it offline and in a hardware wallet. But if you want to attach it, as it were, to an exchange for an abbreviated period of time, lending your credentials and balances to perform a trading session and then again withdraw it, you can do that. That's a component of the architecture. We're unaware of anybody else using it. We refer to it as the detachable wallet. Mm. And that will appeal to folks inside of our ecosystem who, who have a high degree of comfort and understanding. On the other side of the spectrum, again, you have a new entrant. You know, Ease of use has been an issue, a lot of scary terminology. The, the higher math stuff that we all find so fascinating, I don't think they in any way relate to. And so in this case, when that person decides to buy, let's say, a wrapped Bitcoin, they can determine a priori, do they want to leave uh, next of kin? And and you would basically put in your next of kin in the form of uh, Ethereum addresses that you would attribute to these presumably human beings. And then you would set for the system to check for a sign of life, however you want it, uh, every five years. And if I don't respond in six months, then forward the funds in these proportions to these destination addresses. So in a sense, you're configuring a component of your will as you're setting up how you're going to hold, in this case, I guess the analogy was Bitcoin. So that would be the inheritability piece. And the recoverability is just multiple signatures when a majority of the signatures can reconstruct the private key in a secure manner. And where we're hoping that uh, one of the, the signatories will be a big three accounting firm that, again, everybody in the world would recognize. So you've lost your private key. It's not the end of the world. Between the big three accounting firm and one of the exchanges, they can reconstruct your private key and you can recover your assets. What would you guys say to the crypto anarchists who say that you guys, that's still too much power? Is it too much power? 
No, and uh, it's funny because people get really religious about some of this stuff, and, sure. and I think it's sort of silly. If you look at the architecture we've created, there'll be multiple exchanges serving as reserves and doing their own, you know, minting and and burning. Underneath that layer, each of those exchanges will have multiple custody partners. So you're looking at a sort of a pyramid where at the bottom, in terms of where these things are actually sitting, <laughs> probably at every viable digital asset custodian in the world in a spread out way, right? So if people, you know, it'll come down to this. And there's nothing wrong with people having that sort of anarchist, uh, libertarian point of view. Again, we've built this so those people can easily take these assets and keep them offline in a cement bunker in their basement right next to the machine guns and soup. (laughs) But the problem is if you keep it down there, you're going to forego the nature of, I think, very new, very exciting value-added goods and services, which we're working very hard to bring to bear. So it's not just cheaper interest and higher yields. In the context of Uphold, we're about to introduce these projects that have been being worked on for more than a year in some cases. One of them is a robo-advisor developed by a a Russian econophysicist who has an amazing herd behavior algorithm. It'll be proprietary to basically a crypto platform. The only way you can participate is through crypto, and it might produce some terribly interesting things that the only other way you would have been able to access is, you know, if you have... What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.
hundreds of millions of dollars and you're willing to become an LP of Renaissance you know, fund and pay them three and 30 for a similar privilege, right? So all this access and creation of differentiated financial content will be foregone by people who choose to keep stuff in a basement, right? Which is always something that people should be free to do, by the way. I just think it's counter to where the interesting part of this ecosystem ought to be. Certainly that position needs to exist because it helps ground where we want to go as well. So I can see the balance and and I agree with you. I was just curious because that's a question we get asked a lot. And as you said, it's a fair question. How does the universal protocol token work? What's its function? The function is to basically, by staking it, deliver the maximum economics available in a variety of different contexts. So in the context of borrowing or seeking yield or converting and otherwise you know, paying fees for conversion, in participating in different products uh, that are being rolled out by different constituents of the alliance. So let's say you have Bitcoin and you want to borrow money. So Cred has gone out and secured about 300 million in a line of credit to deploy into crypto. They will give a 50% loan to value and a baseline interest rate of 15%. So if you were to have UPT token and you were to stake 10% of the transaction value that you're seeking to affect, your interest rate would drop from 15 to a neighborhood of like nine or eight. So hugely significant, right? I mean, if one thinks of utility, I would think that is the most basic kind of utility. It gets you deeply benefited economics. There'll also be a voting component insofar as what are the next tokens to roll off of the UPP assembly line and so forth. Does anybody who has even one token have the right to vote or is there going to be a voting threshold of asset ownership of the token? So I imagine it's going to be cumulative, but the actual format, whereas you know the very complicated pricing matrix has been fully baked, the first two tokens are getting ready to roll off in the next few weeks. They're going through multiple code security audits at the moment. So that part's all fully baked. The voting we probably won't roll out until Q1 of next year. So I think it's a little too early to determine precisely how it's going to function. Cool. Now, you guys said that, I'm going to quote this one, the universal protocol platform allows users to buy exposure to virtually any cryptocurrency or other tokenized asset on a single blockchain. And it's not you, it's specifically in there, not just crypto, any tokenized asset. What is the range of assets? that you guys want to tokenize? So we're starting with UP, USD, UP, EUR. Those will roll in December. Mm-hmm. So th- those are obviously non-cryptos. We've digitized them, but it ends up being two interesting stable coins. And by the way, to your earlier comment, the most decentralized of any major stable coins to roll out and with some really interesting drivers and obviously a completely different mission statement. The mission statement being two and a half billion bank account holders seeking better economics, not a marginal improvement on Tether for existing crypto purposes. So those two will roll off first, then wrapped Bitcoin will roll off weeks later. And the day that happens will be the first time that Bitcoin can be reasoned with by this amazing critical mass of smart contract logic and decentralized apps within Ethereum. That ought to be really interesting. And then in terms of what's on deck thereafter, that's the part we would start to subject to voting. But some low-hanging fruit would probably be XRP. XRP is 
always sort of sat at the periphery. Imagine how it gets brought in again to the middle when it can be reasoned with by all the smart contracts in the world. That would be interesting. And then a little bit further in terms of new asset classes, I think the next one that would be fascinating would be U.S. securities. So Apple stock, Tesla stock, Google stock, Disney, etc. And imagine what happens when you make that available to a global audience through mobile devices in fractionalized form. You've created, for the first time, global down market, meaning you don't have to have 200 bucks to buy one share of Apple mm. or whatever it is, 300,000 bucks to buy one share of Berkshire Hathaway. Now a teenager in India or Argentina can buy $5 worth of Apple stock and again, zip it across the world at 2 a.m. on a Saturday from mobile device to mobile device. So that's what becomes enabled. That is sort of the progression of asset classes. Uh, we wrote an interesting white paper on art. There are some people doing it. I think art is an interesting one. Talk about you know a very elite asset class that seems to have performed incredibly well from a relative return. You guys also put a real estate in there. Real estate looked like a low-hanging fruit for you guys. I think so. So at the end of the day, it's really about democratizing access to all these things that have sort of been the privileged domain of rich people in the United States and Europe and have been very interesting historical wealth creation engines and make them accessible to everyone in small denominations through mobile devices worldwide. I love it. I love it, man. You guys listed a lot of use cases on the white paper, and we can probably spend even more time talking about that, as I've said earlier. But I am selfish about two topics that I'm really fascinated with in the blockchain space, and that's lending and issuance of credit. Can you dive in a little bit deeper as to how that works for Universal? Because even earlier with cred, you gave some pretty enticing numbers that a person can do. So I can stake a Bitcoin and probably get some good return on that. It's There's some things out there, but it's not good yet. Mm -hmm. Where's the future going with lending and with credit? Sure. So, um, And let me frame this real quick. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let, me, let me frame this with, for the average consumer, I don't, I mean, I'm not talking about somebody who's already in the 1%. I'm talking about the plumber, lawyer, mid-level manager. Gotcha. I'm assuming plumber, lawyer is not a new type of career that I haven't heard about yet, but that's <laughs> Um, and so, I'm, not, I'm not trying to offend any lawyers out there. You're above <laughs> average. I'm sure you're above average. No, I, li I like the conflation of those two things. I feel like I'm being plumbed sometimes when I'm talking to a lawyer. So at any rate, I think the context, let, let's look at, uh, for instance, the ability to take a Bitcoin and receive 50% loan to value in what I believe is the first non-term debt in the space. What is the significance of that to different constituents, right? So mm. So I think the friendliest loan out there is obviously a friends and family loan, but next to that is probably the American home equity line of credit. Now, who qualifies for an American home equity line of credit? Well, firstly, an American, and secondly, an American that's rich enough to own a house. Mm -hmm. For that person with that asset, they get to take out this long-term loan that's basically a revolver. And maybe what they're looking at in the context of a UI, they're not even using it. It just shows up in some part of your screen, giving you this beautiful comfort that you have X amount of you know, borrowing power or future you know, use of, of capital just sitting there for a rainy day, a day yeah. you need to pay a tuition or an unexpected tax bill or what have you. 
So Americans have access to that, and again, just rich Americans. But if you're in Brazil or Argentina or Turkey or just about anywhere outside of Europe, you've never had access to anything close. And so now, let's say you're in Argentine and you have been socking away value in something like a Bitcoin, the relative volatility of which it looks delightfully conservative next to your home currency. And let's say you've amassed some amount of money there, $10,000 or $20,000. Now you can set up against that asset exactly as if it were a house in, in the U.S. qualifying for a home equity line of credit. And the good news is you don't need a credit history in the United States, and you don't need to be American, and you don't need to be rich enough to have a house. And now you can set up the equivalent of a home equity line of credit, which we call a C-lock instead of a HELOC, and it functions in much the same way. That product has not been available before in this space. And again, should be relevant to folks that have used crypto as a means of accessing a relatively more solid form of socking away what they've earned than, again, their home currency. For me, I want to stake my Bitcoin. Can I do that? Can I stake my Bitcoin and get some interest back on that? Sure. So on the flip side of borrowing, right, we would be seeking yield. And so thus far, what we're starting with is basically providing yield for basically people's dollars, pounds, euros, Swiss francs, and so on. And again, looking at a, at a global context, today in Europe, people are still paying banks to hold on to their money. In the U.S., it's a little better. You know, maybe a year's CD is like a point and a half or something. Five cents. I'm kidding. But it basically <laughs> yeah. feels like that. Yeah. And again, in places like Argentina and uh, other places with you know more problematic currencies, yield is not something that's within reach. So what we're offering is to pay people yields of up to 5%. You know, if you're European, that's very eye-opening compared to zero or negative. It's eye-opening in the U.S. And in Argentina, it's you know possibly life-changing, right? In terms of what you'd like to do, which is stake your Bitcoin, we've seen some interesting models out there where I think the scale of it is dependent on their ability to match a fixed amount of Bitcoin seeking yield with people wanting to essentially short Bitcoin, right? And when you match that up, you get a sustainable market. We've been toying around with that. I think we will offer that probably sometime late Q1, early Q2. It's a logical next step, but we haven't perfected an offering of that nature yet. And again, the market for that would mostly be a trading-oriented activity of people looking to borrow Bitcoin for the purposes of shorting it. You know, mature markets have that sort of offering embedded. You know, what's interesting is our background is we focused more on the transactionality and sort of day-to-day -day uses, potential uses, rather than the trading components. And I think people lending out their Bitcoin steps cleanly into the trading side of the world. Let's talk about the token sale. I couldn't find any information. Maybe I didn't look hard enough on the token sale. When does it start? Is there a token sale? Yeah, so there's a pre-sale going on. I have a feeling you're in the United States, and yes, so I, I think you're probably geo-blocked from seeing anything that references the ICO just for regulatory purposes. But there will be a public sale at some point. Obviously, market conditions, as we touched on earlier, are not optimal. So the wonderful part about UPP is pretty much the inverse of every other ICO I'm aware of. 
we've built our product before going out and doing this just as a consequence of it being an, an alliance of companies that have operations and teams and are able to produce stuff in a pretty novel way, actually, that philosophically, I think somebody should pick up on at some point, because I think what we've been able to build, which is, you know, five companies collaborating is a little bit like the industrial revolution context, wherein each of us has built a component which has been brought together and the effects are, are actually pretty cool. But the point is, there's not the hurry to get an ICO done that I think would be the case in another context. So, you know, our original plans were to bring the pre-sale forward and try to announce a public sale, you know, picking a strategic conference. There's a really good one in mid-December. But if market conditions persist like this, we'll just push it out and do it a little later. We'll see. Sure. I love it. I think that, hey, you built a product and now hey, everybody, come look at our product, and now you can make a decision. Play with it. That's the way it should be. The, you come from an era where you built stuff, and yep. you were rewarded for building it. Exactly. That's great. Well, thanks for clearing that up. Now, with respect to recent news regarding ICOs, securities versus tokens with the SEC, what are the implications for Universal with the SEC, quote-unquote, tightening down or showing up for your business? Yeah, so there's still lack of specifics on the nature of the exact sort of <laughs> quantum level uh, detail that's going to be very important here. But I think what we witnessed was a pretty much predictable reading of the Howie sort of delineation and, and you know, a couple of prosecutions extending thereon. But there's kind of no surprise in that. And the way we structured our offering and probably the reason you weren't able to access any information on the ICO is we've adhered to those rules. So, you know, there's all these different components, Reg S, Reg D, they weren't written with tokens in mind, and they were written with, you know, securities in mind, equity and debt. And so we've tried to hew to an interpretation that is, uh, you know, logically derived from something being applied to something that's very similar, but somewhat different. And so I don't think for us, it means any significant change. We were always figuring it was going to go in that direction. But I'll tell you something that's playing out today that, that's really interesting. If you look at the tokens covered by Uphold, it's an interesting choice, right? It's Dash, it's uh, Brave's Bat, yep. it's LBA, Creds. And obviously, Uphold would not have covered those without legal memos from very reputable firms suggesting that those things are not securities or Uphold would find itself in trouble. But the more interesting thing is, and maybe something interesting for your listeners to pay attention to. What Brave is about to roll out here in the next month is really, 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 really fascinating from a variety of points of view. Number one, I think Brendan has identified a way in which the internet is, is broken, right? Uh, it's, as we've all recently read in the news and hopefully not personally discovered, not very private. These monoliths have all your information, they market it, and as a consequence, your internet consumption is saddled with all this sort of parasitic adware that ruins the experience, makes it slow, makes it non-private, just deeply suboptimal. And so he's conceived of a very clever way of fixing that, but it genuinely involves the need to move value between us, the consumers of the internet, 
publishers and advertisers in an entirely new way. And the only way to do that is using their token, which is BAT. So yeah. Uphold and Brave have been collaborating for more than a year and building this thing that's going to roll out here in the next month. And it's starting with millions and millions of users and I think could be wildly exciting. The reason I bring it up is it's, it's a perfect example of how this thing really is not an equity and it's really not a piece of debt. It is something new and it is serving a very real purpose, such a real purpose that if it couldn't be there serving it, the product couldn't be offered. And the product is a product that everybody would want, right? A pure internet consumption experience. So the delivery of real utility is almost as important to watch as the evolving language of the regulators. And both are entering right now a really interesting phase. That was the best explanation I've heard on that. That's great. Thanks for explaining that. What is the call to action for our Crypto 101 community, the average consumer? I would say from that thing that affects all our moods every day, I'd say, you know, don't panic. By the same token, don't get uh, overly exuberant if there are spikes up. I think it is inevitable that all these ones and zeros we call money are going to gravitate to this thing that we've started to create and to watch for those things that are you know, well put together, well thought out, being taken forward by credible teams that are adhering to the laws as they go evolving. And it should be really interesting. And to go back to that analogy that your it sounded like your, your partner <laughs> doesn't like. Yes, maybe Matthew didn't say hate. He maybe <laughs> used the word strongly disagrees. But imagine that you're standing in the wasteland of year 2000 internet. Everybody's bummed out and shell-shocked. But if you look around for those things that are standing out as being differentiated, well put together, well conceived, I think that those plays are going to be very rewarding over a two, five, ten year time frame. JP, I have two more questions for you, my friend, and then I'm going to let you go. Sure. Uh, the first question is, again, we're just this huge advocate for the average consumer and with the current marketing conditions today, maybe you have somebody out there right now, they're a mid-level manager somewhere in an industry that's non-tech and they love crypto space, but they're just a little too nervous to put their money into the space with the ups and the downs, but they really want to participate and they want to make money in the space. Where can they go to get a job, to work for a company? Can they go work for Uphold? Is universal hiring? I imagine that the space in general is absolutely hiring. Yes is the answer to both of those things. You know, the nature of the number of people that tech-led organizations need to hire is obviously a lot fewer than brick-and-mortar financial companies, right? Mm -hmm. So in a giant scaled way, I don't think it's going to be a big employer of folks switching industries midstream. That said, those opportunities ought to exist for those, you know, most exuberant transitioners in. I've seen a lot of folks leaving financial advisor type jobs to specialize in crypto, uh, some young people straight out of business school uh, identifying that this is the industry they're going to specialize in. And yes, I think there's going to be tons and tons of opportunity and different facets to the space. Again, it feels like I'm abusing the comparison, but you know, if I were and I was very young and, and, I'm, and I'm looking at early internet, what would what you do? Do you learn how to program? Would you join a browser company? I mean, the choices that seemed like the choices in 2000 
some of them were good choices and some of them weren't. But I think generally speaking, compared to other industries, you're talking about a rising tide. And I think you could choose what corner of this all-purpose sea change you want to participate in. Cool. Thank you. Where can people find more information about you guys? Where do you want them to go? Universalprotocol.io and then uphold.com if people are curious about where some of this stuff is going to come together. And of course, everybody should be using the Brave browser. I agree. I agree. JP, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. And I look forward to hopefully having you back to talk about Uphold. Wonderful. Well, delightful to be here and uh, wonderful questions. Boom. Yo, yo, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, then check out the links on the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe to ICO 101 Podcast by going to the Crypto 101 Podcast feed that is found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and CastBox. Leave a positive review. Please follow me on Twitter at SupAaronPaul. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter as well at ICO 101 Podcast. Until next time, peace. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.